Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Here is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Hello, America. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. I, as you know, love history. I collect history. I'm a student of history. Uh, I, I mean, I'm currently looking into the Rockefellers and medicine and how medicine was completely destroyed by the Rockefellers. And uh, it's amazing to learn something new. I am reading a book that you are, I, I'm learning stuff now I didn't even think to even question. Did you know that when you go to a pump and you, you know, see diesel fuel for sale, if it's a small D, it shouldn't be. It, that's actually the name of a guy, Diesel, that created the diesel engine, diesel fuel, invented the ice cube. Uh, his name is Rudolph Diesel. And uh, he was as famous as Edison and Tesla and Rockefeller, all of them. And then he was on a ship right before World War One, and apparently committed suicide. I don't know. Nobody really looked into it. Douglas Brunt has just looked into it. He's written a tremendous book called The Mysterious Case of Rudolf Diesel. He joins me in 60 seconds. All right. You know, you might get away with rolling the dice once in a while. I have two. I'm up at the ranch today. I've got two old trucks up here. Uh, they're way, way past, uh, you know, the, their, their warranty, way past their warranty. And when they go down and I need them, they're working trucks. And I don't want to buy a new $80,000 truck. For the love of Pete, how much do trucks have to cost? I just want something that I can put hay in the back or feed in the back or lumber in the back and haul it to and fro. That's all I want. I don't care if the doors don't work. When they go down, now because of all the computer chips and everything else, it costs a fortune. A fortune. One of these trucks went down, and I think it was like seven or $8,000, somewhere in that area. And I looked at the guy when he presented the bill, and I'm like, why didn't you call me? What, what are you? This truck isn't worth that. And he said, no, 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 you, you, uh, you have car shield. And I said, yes. And he said, yeah, this was all covered. I honestly, my first thought was, it can't be true, but he believes it, so I'm just going to go and get the keys and leave as fast as I can. It was amazing. 
When you need a huge repair on a car that's out of warranty, you need Car Shield. Enroll with Car Shield right now, and you'll get the pl- price lock guarantee. Your price will never go up, no matter how many claims you file. It'll never go up, even as the mileage on your car increases. Car Shield won't go up, even with inflation. CarShield.com, 800-227-6100, 800-227-6100. CarShield.com slash Beck. Douglas, may I call you Doug? Doug, please. Or do you go by Douglas? Doug, okay. May I call you Bob? <laughs> hey, I'm on your show. You call me whatever you want. <laughs> okay. Uh, Douglas Brunt, uh, you have written this great, great book. By the way, full disclosure, you are the uh, husband of Megan Kelly. Not that that's important. I just don't want somebody going, well, you know Megan Kelly, and that's why you had him on. I didn't. I have, I'm having Doug on because his book is fantastic. And your wife did tell me, Glenn, I know this, this book was written for you. I feel like it was, Doug. Tell the story. So it's funny you say that because as I was finishing it up, I spoke to my editor and I said, we've got to get this book over to Glenn Beck because he is a student of history <laughs> and I, I believe he will love it. And maybe I'll get a chance to talk to him and yeah. talk to his listeners who also appreciate history. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. So tell me the story. Well, as, as you were suggesting, people have been mistakenly spelling diesel with a lowercase d. You know, you don't do that with Ford, Chrysler, Benz. And the reason for that is he was involved in the greatest you know, reviews of the book have been really terrific. And several have referred to it as the greatest caper of the 20th century. And so on the eve of World War One, September 29th, 1913, Rudolf Diesel is traveling from Belgium to Great Britain on an overnight passenger ferry, and he disappears. And it's hard to state the the level of his global fame at this time. And in today's standards, it would be like Elon Musk disappearing one day to the next. And so the newspapers around right. the world, the front page of the New York Times, all the papers through Western Europe, all the papers in Russia were covering this crazy disappearance of this celebrity inventor. And as you said, suicide was the prevailing theory, but there are also two theories of murder. One, that either Kaiser Wilhelm II, the emperor of Germany, had dispatched agents to murder him, or that John Rockefeller, the founder of Standard Oil and richest man in the world, had sent maybe a Pinkerton detective thug over there to murder him. So those were the theories. Wait, 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 Doug. Wait, 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 wait. Don't tell me because I'm only halfway through it. Don't tell me the ending. But do you come to a conclusion? Yes, I do. And okay. I will. the most right, I'll don't tell, tell you now anymore. is I'll only tell you not suicide. But by exploring the motive <laughs> Good, right. that each of these two had to kill him, and they each viewed Diesel as an existential threat, by exploring that in the quarter century now, leading up to World War I, you understand the period and, and what's going on and why Diesel and the engine were so critical. So, you know, you do a great job at explaining coal engines. I had no idea how inefficient trains and ships were. I, you know, I've seen you, you know, you've brought up the, um, uh, the Titanic movie and we've all seen it where he's like, let's open this up and see what she can do. And they ring full speed ahead. And you see all these people that are shoveling the coal in and you might think, wow, there's, they've got to have a lot of space for coal and these engines are huge. But I never thought of the, what about 200 people all told between the mechanics and the shovelers, uh, that had to have room on the ship and the food that they had to have and the quarters they right. had to have. 
And then how inefficient those engines were, I had no idea. Oh, it's amazing. They would get, back in the days of James Watt, the 1770s, you know, you would say the James Watt engine is as old as America. Back then, the metallurgy and the casting of the engines was so poor that they would use rope and leather to sort of bind the pipes. So you can imagine how much pressure and heat can be lost in that. And in those days, out of a unit of fuel, they could get about 2% of energy. In Diesel's days, when he was first starting the diesel engine, uh, steam engine could get, you know, six to eight percent. What diesel ultimately achieved with his diesel engine was closer to 40. So it was just leaps and bounds in fuel efficiency. Game changing. Where is the diesel engine in relation to uh, the Ford engine? Because I always thought that the car engine, the combustion engine, that that was developed at the same time of the car. But it, it wasn't. It was actually they actually um, used. I mean, anything that would burn very uh, flammable stuff. But that was actually at first uh, to replace the steam engine. Uh, and it came long before the car or just as the car. And where did the diesel engine come in? The, the auto Timeline cycle wise. engine. It, yeah, the auto cycle engine, which is the origins of sort of a, a gas burning engine now, initially was burning gaseous fuels like benzene, methy, methane and things like that. And, but those were low torque, sort of, you know, very tiny engines. And, you know, Benz used them in the 1870s, 80s in experimenting with his first cars, which really looked like a motorbike. And they were, you know, half mm-hmm. a horsepower, one horsepower. They could never right. drive a ship. And, and they really weren't used for that. What, what ultimately became and, and remains to this day, the prime source of power in the world is the diesel engine. It's incredible uh, that I didn't know any of this stuff, and he was as big of a name as he as he was. So he's on the ship. They find his uh, his coat um, folded up. It's it's so strange, Doug. And I know this is personal and only to me, but the way you describe that, my mother uh, committed suicide, and it was on a boat, and um, it was a double suicide, and the clothes were. Uh, folded up and put right on the ledge of the ship. And that's why we believe that it was suicide. Um, and when I read that, I thought, wow, what a great way to cover a murder if you're doing it, because that does lead you to believe that. It does. It does seem to mark the point where he went off the ship and it was it was kind of set up to to do that. There's just so many inconsistencies with the story. And, and as you read the book, you can you can see the various holes uh, in that in that theory. And then you can also see why the newspaper newspapers were speculating at that time that Diesel might have been murdered by one of these two suspects. Um, I think, uh, you know, if the book's going 60 miles an hour for you now, it's about to go 120 as you get into the investigation of it. And uh, I won't spoil anything, but I will tell you that in 1913, a diesel engine had emerged as the only option for the U-boat or the submarine. And as right. you know, as, as a student of history, you know, we're in the middle of an Anglo-German naval arms race where mm-hmm. Germany is growing by leaps mm-hmm. and bounds. And they feel they need colonies to support their growth, to bring natural resources back into the, the homeland. So they're trying to build a navy to rival Great Britain. And they've decided the U-boat is the way to go. Rudolph was traveling across the North Sea on that day in September because he was going to be co-founder and board director of a new diesel engine manufacturing company in Great Britain, whose mandate was to build diesels submarine diesels for the royal mm. navy and so you can imagine the kaiser was thinking hard no right 
Right. And he also, but he, I mean, he didn't stop it. Um, it, Diesel was also the guy who started the oil industry in Russia. Uh, Nobel. Yeah. The Nobel family, Alfred Nobel's two older brothers. Oh, okay. And how was he involved? I thought it was uh, Diesel that did that. How were they they involved in any way? The way that, the diesel, yeah, they were actually in a, in a big way. The diesel engine followed a standard licensing practice of that time, which was to license out the exclusive rights to manufacture and market the technology by national territory. So in Russia, the Nobel family, which is another crazy story. You know, we only know Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, but he had two older brothers who manufactured arms and engines and steam boilers and things like that in Russia. They're Swedish by origin, but in Russia... And in order, they were going to find more wood for rifle stocks to fill an order for the czar of 100,000 rifles. And they went down to the Caucasus region and discovered oil. And they ended up founding the Russian oil industry. And by 1900, they were bigger than standard oil. The reason we don't know much about them now That's is crazy. Stalin came down there with a Bolshevik Red Army and kicked them all out and seized everything and renamed it, it the Soviet Oil Company and you know, the Soviet Engine Manufacturing Company. But the Nobelists were also the exclusive... Wow manufacturer of diesel engines built diesels for the for the russian navy and for other things the cast so of characters the, how do, how do extraordinary. We, the, in the u.s is. in the north america the person who took the the license for the diesel engine was adolphus bush founder of anheuser-busch and used the diesel engine to pump water for his breweries and also had a side business of building submarine diesels for the u.s navy and his um, the the diesel engine hasn't really changed that much, except now with computer chips and everything else. But it's still the basic thing, isn't it? It, it is. And it's funny, Glenn, the way I came into it is Megan and I bought a boat and it was an older boat, a little bigger. And I was going to do some work to fix it up. And I was talking to this guy at the boat yard. You know, what should I do to fix this old boat up? And he said, well, boat like this, you know, you really got to get rid of these gasoline engines and put in diesel and at that time, this is eight years ago, I always thought of diesel as sort of the other fuel that the trucks use. I didn't associate it with certainly not a name and not even like Dirty, really a different kind yeah. of engine. And right. uh, he said, look, you can take, he said, the diesel fuel is completely stable. I can take a lit match, drop it into a barrel of diesel fuel and nothing will happen. It won't ignite. It has no fumes. A hundred percent of boat fires come from gasoline engines, zero from diesel. And it gets four times the efficiency. So on your 200 gallon tank, you can go four times as far. So I repowered the diesel, and that's how I got started with this whole thing eight years ago. It is, uh, it's a remarkable story. Why do we not know about him now? Why has he been lost to history? Two reasons, I would say. One is the presumption of suicide. If you look him up in the Encyclopedia Britannica, it says suicide. And I, there's just something that's kind of impairing to your legacy about all that. Uh, and after he disappeared, others kind of moved in to try and seize some of the credit for his work unjustly. But the mm. other bigger reason you will soon get to, because he is at the heart of this caper. Um, and so for reasons that you'll and all readers will come to understand as they get into the back half of the book, he has been scrubbed from history. It's remarkable. It is absolutely remarkable. I love I love discovering history. You know, it's fun, isn't it? You must have had a blast researching this book. Oh, my gosh. So much fun. There are so many interesting things about it. I mean, one of the one of the fascinating things about it, and I know you're doing some work on Rockefeller, who is our other suspect. The reason Rockefeller 
viewed diesel as an existential threat is the diesel engine ran on a range of fuels. Diesel won the 1900 Paris World's Fair on a diesel engine running peanut oil. And he didn't need petroleum or any of Rockefeller's products. And Rockefeller, when you think about from the founding of Standard Oil in 1870 to 1900, when he became the richest man in the world, he wasn't selling gasoline. That was a waste product that they would get rid of. They were selling kerosene for lighting. But Rockefeller was in the illumination business. And then along comes Edison and the electric light bulb, wipes out the prospects for the future of kerosene for illumination and threatens to do to Rockefeller what Rockefeller had done to the whaling business. You know, we used to use whale blubber. Then kerosene came in and then the light bulb. So Rockefeller is now searching around for new markets for revenue as the combustion engine is emerging as a major player and it can run on gasoline. So suddenly his waste product is his new main product. But diesel comes along and says, we don't need to do that. We don't need to uh, be beholden to petroleum in certain areas of the world that have that. We have farmers. We can grow our own fuel vegetables and and nuts or it could even run on coal tar if you do the coking process with coal you get this tar-like sludge which is a great diesel fuel Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a great book thank you so much doug we we have to get together sometime because uh you you would love to see the museum and the collection that we have down here and i think you could bring some insight to it as well doug thank you so much would love that glenn thank you you bet. Bye-bye. Uh, the name of the book is The Mysterious Case of Rudolph Diesel. Uh, the author is Douglas Brunt. I'm listening to it on uh, Audible, and it's really great. But this is one of those books that you want to have in your library shelf as well. Douglas Brunt, The Mysterious Case of Rudolph Diesel. Well worth the money you'll spend. All right, my Patriot Supply. It is strange to think about it, but we are on the precipice. I was talking to um, uh, Ron DeSantis yesterday, and I said, is Donald Trump right that he thinks that we are on, that we're, we're, this is it, this is it. And he said, yeah, I, you know, I don't think, you know, 2025, if that doesn't go the way it needs to go, if these guys retain power, it's, we're done. Um, and it's weird to think that it's weird to think that we are one big crisis away um, to achieving everything that Osama bin Laden wanted to achieve on 9-11. You've got to be prepared and you have to be self-reliant. You've got to put your, your family into the situation where you'll make it. May I suggest you head on over to My Patriot Supply and prepare today with emergency food that will stay fresh for up to 25 years. You can enjoy a wide variety of delicious food kits offering 2,000 calories every day. If you order today, you can, uh, if you order by 3 p.m., your items will ship the same day. It's really fast. You'll get it in an unmarked box and you can just put it away and don't tell. My Patriot, I lost my food supply in a horrible boating accident with all of my guns. But anyway, uh, MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Ten seconds, station ID. So... Florida Governor Ron DeSantis really came to America's uh, heart and mind when he declared war on wokeism in Florida. But would his strategies be effective, as effective, if he were president? Does he understand the deep state? 
Uh, it's a lot different than running a state. I sat down with Governor DeSantis to get the answers Americans want to know most about his 2024 presidential campaign. How would he handle a government shutdown debate? Why? What should the Republicans do? How does he feel about today's Republican Party? Would How would he address the border crisis? What's his first priority on day one? How would he clean out the deep state? And one thing that I don't think anybody's really pinned him down on is, what do you actually believe about the war in Ukraine? What would you do if you were president? He explains in the podcast how he plans to reverse the Biden administration's destructive policies and give power back to the states, especially when it comes to the border. His plan on the border is uh, remarkable. He also responds to former President Donald Trump's criticism of Florida's heartbeat bill, clarifies his own stance on abortion, uh, the difference between a man and a woman. He can figure that one out. I know we have Supreme Court justice. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an expert. Apparently, Governor DeSantis is an expert because he can tell the difference. He also talks about changing education. He talks about the big ideas that have to be changed by the next president to save our country. And he is eager for the fight. I asked him about the difference with the GOP, how they... They seem to fight only the fights they think they can win. But there are fights that need to be fought. They have to be fought. Uh, and I asked him the difference between those two and which one he was. Uh, the interviews all come with no agenda. The point is to ask all of the candidates all of the questions that you would ask. You can watch the podcast now with Ron DeSantis, blazetv.com slash Glenn. It will be available tomorrow on my YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. The podcast with Ron DeSantis, episode 195, available now at blazetv.com slash Glenn or wherever you get your podcasts tomorrow. Don't miss this one. The Glenn Beck Program. So realestateagentsitrust.com is a company that my brother and I started. We were He's actually up here at the ranch with me uh, because I'm going to my son's football game tomorrow. Uh, his college football team is playing a team on homecoming. And anyway, so we're up here and we were driving in. We were talking about real estate and the real estate agents that we have uh, that we represent. Um, and just what a blessing this has been for us and so many people, um, n not just uh, the real estate agents, but more importantly, the people that we get letters from all the time saying this agent was unbelievable. Um, you have to interview and know the best practices of your real estate agent. You need to know that they have the website that is already generating all the traffic. So they have buyers waiting for your house. And it's nice to know that they're not going to be the people who say, uh, this is the master bedroom. What? No, you trust these people. They think a lot like you. They're fans of the show. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Don't forget, subscribe to The Blaze. BlazeTV.com. A lot of great stuff already available and more to come. What kind of government do we have that actually takes 
and cuts the razor wire at our border to allow thousands of immigrants in. It's an honest question. Does that sound like somebody who's protecting and defending the Constitution of the United States and defending our our shores and our safety? Doesn't to me, but that's what happened in Eagle Pass two days ago. Fox News uh, had some footage from the border right there near Eagle Pass where they, look at this, where they were just walking them in. Uh, gee, it looks like... Yeah, it looks like almost all men. Uh, isn't that weird? Young men uh, coming in. There were thousands of them that just walked on into the country. Um, he tweeted that it seems like a free for all. Then you have CNN giving you this news yesterday about the Eagle Pass. The mayor of a Texas border city is pleading for help as the members and the numbers of migrant crossings have increased significantly. A source tells CNN nearly 3,000 migrants crossed near the city of Eagle Pass, Texas in just one day. The mayor signed an emergency declaration hoping to get financial help and, frankly, more services. You know, I'm not going to out anybody because of security reasons, but there are some very, very wealthy, very wealthy um, leftists um, that uh, claim to love their country so much that live there in Eagle Pass. And I'm wondering have they brought one of their planes down to help feed these people and help relieve the town or do they just do they just have a house there that they uh, like to have refuge in I'm, I'm not i'm not sure now speaking of the border this is one of the first questions i asked uh, ron DeSantis in the podcast that is available tomorrow for everybody it's available now came out last night for blaze tv subscribers but here's what he said when i started talking about the border i got up this morning and i was beside myself because i saw that the president told the border patrol to go down and cut the razor wire at Eagle Pass. There were, I think it was four or 7,000 um, Venezuelans on the other side of the river and 14,000 behind them. Honestly, I, I said to Ken Paxton, our attorney general, just today, when is Texas going to behave like Texas? When are these states going to say enough is enough? What is that point and what should we be doing? Well, I can tell you when I'm president, and we've already said we are going to unleash the states. They're going to be equal partners with enforcing immigration law. If someone comes across the river illegally into Texas, Texas should be able to send them back. Why do we need to end up in this big process where people are going to court and all this other stuff? It's absurd. So they should be able to do it. I think that the reality is, is that if they if they did more, they would absolutely face DOJ and all this other stuff. Now, I still think they should do it. Don't get me wrong. But we'll be an administration that's going to work hand in hand with the states to be able to secure our country. They're a force multiplier for the federal government. People say it's the sole federal responsibility. Yeah, a state can't do something like if, if we have strong border policy, a, can't, a state can't let people in illegally, of course. But if we have a policy uh, and it's not being enforced fully, why should the states not uh, do it? They should absolutely be able to enforce the law. And we'll make that happen. How long before we have irreparable harm done where you have 
population in your country that is as big as a big state and they're not part of your culture. Well, when I when I get in, they're all going back. I mean, that's the easiest. How are you going to do that? Well, you know, they, they've been given court dates. They have paper. So you now have these people. Biden is registering these people. A lot of them are registering with the federal government before they cross the border, saying, hey, I'm coming illegally. I'm going to go on this app and fill out. It's insane. So we'll use that uh, to do, because I think it's important that, that that's done. You can't, you, I want a wall. I want all that. But if you aren't going to have a sanction for coming illegally, then you're going to continue to deal with this problem one way or another. Another. So, so that will be a sanction, you know, that we're going to enforce. It hasn't been enforced uh, really for many, many decades. Probably right. all the way back to Eisenhower, right. to where we really had it had it strong. Day one, you put in an executive order, or you take them off the table. What's the one you say first thing? Well, it'll be we'll do uh, we'll do do a lot in the first day, but uh, we will do uh, declare the border a national emergency that will unlock resources for us. We'll do the mobilization of the military and that'll happen. Uh, and that plan will be implemented on day one. We'll also do things and we're going to take all of Biden's EOs, particularly on the economy, throw those in the trash can so we can get America moving again. And there'll be a whole host of a we're going to nix CBDC on day one. Central bank digital currency not going to happen under my watch. So there'll be a bunch of things. But I think that border, um, that's a core attribute of sovereignty. You're either a country or you're not. And we've got to get that one right. So that'll be, you know, 1230 or whenever you're done giving the speech, you're going to have to sign that one in. I also asked him uh, several questions. One, how how are you going to defeat Trump? Uh, Why do you think, uh, you know, your poll numbers were going up? They're not going up anymore. Uh, it, you're a distant second and third in some states. Um, and I asked him that question. He gave his uh, answer on that. I asked him about the heartbeat bill and what Donald Trump said. Uh, let's play, you know, let's play that one on abortion and the heartbeat bill. Donald Trump said um, in an interview with Meet the Press, he said Florida's six week abortion ban was a terrible mistake. Protecting unborn babies that have detectable heartbeats is not terrible. Uh, It's noble. It's just. And it should be something that anyone says that they're pro-life would embrace. I don't see how you could claim to. He's he's all so he goes into this in depth. We talk about, you know, male, female, gender ideology, all of this stuff. Uh, Then I asked him about Ukraine because he's been a little slippery on Ukraine. Here's the beginning of that. A lot of people say you're a little slippery on Ukraine. I don't think so. I mean, what, what happened was, you know, I said, you know, it's um, it's something that, um, you know, no blank check. Uh, it's not a it's not a vital interest where we'd have ground troops under any circumstance. It's a secondary or tertiary interest. And the goal should be to bring it to a conclusion uh, so that we don't have wars breaking out in Europe or we don't have this going on for 50 years. Uh, and that's pretty much what I've been. People said, oh, he said Vladimir Putin's a bad guy. So that must be a change because wouldn't he if Putin's bad? Don't you have to support a never ending blank check? No, there's a different question between Putin being a bad guy, which he is. Russia being the aggressor, which they are, but then our national interests and the risks of us getting enmeshed in this. I'm the only guy running that's actually put on the uniform. I was in Iraq at a time where you know things weren't great in places like Fallujah and Ramadi, and I'm very uh, conscious and sensitive to doing things where there's not a clear mission where we don't know what exactly we're trying to accomplish. Biden is still not articulated, he just says, as long as long as it takes. So as president, my goal would be to end it, 
not to escalate it. Uh, I think we can do that, but you're going to have to use other levers that Biden has not been willing to do, for example, on the energy. He is basically funding both sides of the conflict. Correct. Our energy policy helps Russia, helps Iran. He gave $6 billion to Iran just now. Iran is helping Russia in the conflict. China is helping Russia in the conflict. And then people will sometimes say, well, um, you know, because the borderland between Russia and Ukraine, like why, why should America care? And so what the D.C. people will say is, well, China is watching this. They're, they're going to see and that may cause them what they do with Taiwan. I actually think what China wants, they want to see a long protracted quagmire because mm-hmm. We're running low on ammunition in the West. Stockpiles are diminishing. Uh, Russia, if they're in it, Russia will get weakened too. But China wants a weak Russia because that means Russia's a client state of China. Because, yep. you know, China and Russia, they, they get along, but then they don't or whatever. This China would be, or Russia would be dependent on China in that situation. So I think it's in our interest for this to come to an end as expeditiously as possible. Okay, so let me play one more clip uh, because... You know, running a state is different than having the CIA, NSA, you know, the Department of Justice, all deep state players. So I asked him about the deep state. The problem that um, people might have with you coming from a governorship, running against a guy who's already seen the deep state, um, you're coming in, you don't have in Florida the problem with the NSA, CIA, and five eyes and everything else that are all pretty much in lockstep. We know now that the CIA actually bribed, I think it's six of their experts out of seven, bribed them to say, no, this didn't come from Wuhan. This didn't come from the lab. No, I'm- Six out of the seven said it was lab. One said it was natural. The CIA, for some reason, bribed them. You, you have, I mean, you know, I'm reading this book about JFK and the assassination. And, and it, it's not making the connection to the assassination, but it is talking about how tough he was coming in on the military industrial complex uh the way we were fighting the cold war he disagreed with it and he told everybody and um you know he didn't he didn't fare well <laughs> well listen um what i'd say is a couple things i mean you know we've staked out positions i mean for example the uh, former president said the jury's still out on christopher ray as fbi director for me it's not still out he's gone on day one that's a guarantee uh we will have a new director of the fbi we will also use our authorities uh, to hold people accountable, particularly in the national security sphere. I mean, I'm not a, I don't uh, concede that the president can't fire people in the civil service. I, I think you can. I think you got to be smart about how you do it. Uh, but certainly in the national security realm, everyone acknowledges there's broad authority there. You've got to be willing to take action. You've got to have people that are going to go in there um, who are not going to be co-opted uh, by what's going on. And that is really you got to be smart all that, but you just got to have that backbone because, you know, if you go in there, the buzzsaw is coming after you. Uh, the media is going to come after you. The bureaucracy is going to come after you. All but here's it. the thing. Do we govern ourselves or not? And if we govern ourselves, then we can't take it anymore. Uh, we've got to change the way things are going. We can't have a fourth branch of government uh, that 
acts really regardless of the outcome of elections. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we're either going to step up and do the job um, or we're not going to do the job. You know, I've been active duty military. I've dealt with all these agencies on the ground level. Uh, I was a U.S. congressman, was the uh, National Security Subcommittee chairman. I did oversight over them. So I've got a good idea, you know, of kind of what we're what we're walking into. And we will have uh, a good plan on day one because you can't wait. You got to be ready day one. All your people got to be lined up. All the executive orders you're going to do, everything's got to be ready to go. And you do. Have you done that? So we have, um, I would say we probably have probably about half of what we would do in terms of broad executive orders. We're going to do more as the years go on, of course. And then we are going to be doing the personnel, not just like who your attorney general is. That's obviously important. But you need two or three levels down in all these areas. We're going to do that. And then we're going to be rolling out our uh, kind of way to uh, slay the administrative state. I've talked about it a little bit, but we're going to put it out um, and do an event where we kind of list all the different levers that are available for you to push. There are levers. Now, look, they're going to fight back. They're going to sue you. It's not like everyone's just going to lay down. But there are a lot of levers that Republican presidents have not been willing to push uh, because I think a lot of them come in thinking that they can win these people over uh, or hope that they can (laughs) win these people over. And you can't. You just got to understand they have accumulated power. They're not going to give it back willingly. And what's happening in terms of the weaponization of this federal power, the founding fathers would have predicted this. When you have power accumulate without constitutional accountability, human nature being what it is, they are going to abuse their power. That's just the reality. So we've got to bring the constitutional accountability back. I have to tell you, I've interviewed, I think I've interviewed all of the candidates. Um, Donald Trump still has not uh, come in for an interview, but I've gone to him before he was running officially, et cetera, et cetera. And so I've interviewed him several times. I think we have a great slate to pick from. Uh, I talked to Ron DeSantis about, you know, the infighting between, you know, each each side and you know, the mean tweets and everything else. And, uh, you know, there is a difference between all of the candidates, but I got news for you. Uh, the, the top three or four, I, I've got a favorite here or there, but I'd vote for any of them. I'd support any of them. Um, we have a really good slate. Uh, uh, Donald Trump is way ahead. Um, And we talk about that in the podcast with Ron DeSantis. I hope to get uh, Donald Trump in for uh, an interview. And the Blaze is working on uh, some other things, seeing that the GOP hates our guts. And I wear that as a badge of honor. Uh, We are working on some other things, uh, much like what what we uh, covered in uh, Iowa. So you will be able to hear the candidates in a reasonable forum, uh, not this dog and pony show that, uh, you know, NBC and Fox News are going to do. They're actually thinking about going over to CNN, too, for some reason. I don't know why. Nobody watches them. But anyway, I digress. Our sponsor this half hour is uh, Mantis X. If you're a shooter, I don't know if you've noticed ammo price. Ammo prices, yeah, they're a little bit higher than they uh, used to be. You are literally blowing holes through $20 bills every time you go and shoot at the range. Now, maybe you don't mind that. I do. It bothers me because I also know that 
ammunition is something that, you know, especially if we go to war, it's going to be very hard to get your hands on. Uh, and I want to make sure I can protect my family and and also, you know, feed my family if I have to and go out and hunt. Listen, the best way to keep your skills is with Mantis X. It is like having a Marine drill sergeant right next to you. Put a device onto your uh, barrel of your gun, whether you're dry firing or you're shooting, you know, uh, at the range. It'll tell you exactly what to do next and how to fix it. Start improving today. MantisX.com. That's MantisX.com. Join the conversation. 888-727-BECK. The Glenn Beck Program. Hello, you sick, twisted freak. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for watching and listening this week. Again, our great podcast that comes out tomorrow everywhere with Ron DeSantis, episode 195. Uh, We also did a great show on what's coming in schools and what parents and teachers need to do to prepare. We show you it's happening in California. Check them out.